Thank you for reading that quite long passage. I will remind all of us that the book of Isaiah is 66 chapters long, so it's part and parcel. Last week we talked about Micah 6, how what the Lord requires is to make justice happen, to love with the love of God, and to take a humble posture toward relationship with the Holy One. The prophet called this worship, the way that we humans are to interact with God, one another, and the world. I'm sure you recognize the way in which this text resonates with last week's text, how they read similarly, and that makes a lot of sense given that they were written about the same time. Though today we do find ourselves in Isaiah. If you recall, Isaiah is generally considered to have been written in three portions by at least three different authors. First, Isaiah is comprised of chapters 1 through 39. These chapters seem likely to have been written by the book's namesake and contain his oracles spoken probably between 738 and 701 BCE. My Hebrew professor, the Reverend Dr. Lisa W. Davison, calls him Isaiah of Jerusalem. But then the timeline jumps 150 years into the future, and the form changes from prose to poetry abruptly. This is 2nd Isaiah, or Deutero-Isaiah, chapters 40 through 55, and seem to have been written during the Babylonian exile. This portion of the text promises a Messiah will come and restore Jerusalem, and it offers us the first real statement of monotheism in the biblical timeline. And finally, we come to Isaiah the third, or Trito-Isaiah. Begins in chapter 56 and goes until the end of the book. This section of the text takes place in Jerusalem again, having returned from exile. And it contains hope for restoration. It was written between the years of 538 and 515 BCE. With 515 being the year that the temple was rededicated, which we know from Ezra chapter 6. Lisa refers to this prophetic voice as Isaiah of the Return. Today's text comes to us from that closing prophetic voice in what was likely a school of prophecy. This section of the text has some really beautiful themes. A world where the Holy One gathers in all the exiles scattered from the diaspora. A world where God rules the whole earth. And a world where Jerusalem is so fully restored that it's called the New Jerusalem. But all is not well, and a prophet must speak to the issues at hand, for that is the role of the prophet. In today's lection, we find an interesting problem, a problem most pastors would be thrilled to have, and also a faithful solution and a conditional promise. Here the prophet speaks the voice of Adonai and tells us what the problems are. Shout out, do not hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Announce to my people their rebellion, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet day after day they seek me and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that practiced righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to the Lord. And then God cries in the voice of the people, Why do we fast, but you do not see? Why do we humble ourselves, but you do not notice? And God answers, look, 
You serve your own interest on your fast day. You oppress all your workers. Look, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to strike with a wicked fist. Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day to humble oneself? Is it to bow down the head like a bulrush to lie in sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Here we find that Israel has this fascinating problem. Too many people are seeking God and delight to know God's ways. Too many people are getting out of bed and going straight to worship. If it were here and now, I'd say the church is too full. Y'all are spilling out of the pews. Our people delight in skipping meals during Lent and dawn ashes every day of the season, not just Ash Wednesday. They're repenting too much, whatever will I do? Yet this is exactly God's critique of the people through the prophet. Isaiah's people are looking behind them, trying to figure out what went wrong, what led them into captivity. Worship had become for them a thing they must do to keep that bad thing from happening again. The people wanted a future of security, which we understand is a basic human need. They wanted to be free from enslavement and terror, and they wanted God to keep them safe. But their worship had become about securing positions and rote actions, treading carefully to avoid past mistakes while neglecting to co-create a new future with God. God says the fast in which they have engaged is worthless, not because of what they do, but because of what they fail to do. The one fast day required for the people was Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. These people are fasting much more often than that, overzealously even, and in the end, self-servingly. Their rituals are pious, but their actions toward one another are not. The people are oppressing their own workers, fighting with one another, bickering and gossiping and neglecting to make justice happen. But God goes on. Is this not the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your kin? Then your light shall break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you. The glory of the, God of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help and he will say, here I am. The fast God desires is this not only to free people from injustice, but indeed to break every yoke of injustice, which is to say, to break down the systems that keep people in oppression. It is to share our bread with those in need, to take what we would have eaten had we not been fasting, and to give that to someone who is hungry. It is to shelter those who are experiencing homelessness, it is to clothe those who are naked. It is to open our hearts and our homes to our kin. 
Andrew Foster Connors writes, true fasting and by extension true worship leads not simply to a reordering of the liturgy, but a reordering of the life of a community. Those who have share with those who need. Those who are free loosen the bonds of those who are yoked with injustice. Those who are sheltered extend it to the homeless. What concerns God is not our reordering of worship, but how worship reorders us. If we do those things, if we turn from empty form toward compassion for those around us, the Holy One will respond to our worship. If we do these things, God says, we shall shine brightly as the dawn in a dark night. We shall be healed and vindicated. We shall be guarded by God. And what's more, what is perhaps most precious is that we shall call, call to God and God will respond, here I am. If that weren't enough, the prophet goes on. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil. If you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and even your gloom be like the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to live in. Brett Younger writes, this would be akin to saying, we hope you're not planning to go through the motions in worship, singing the songs but never engaging your heart, hearing the scriptures but not listening for God, or giving an offering but not giving yourselves. Because if so, you're not doing God any favors. You do not get points for attendance. If you really worship God today, then you will share with the poor, listen to the lonely, and stop avoiding those in need. How deeply, deeply convicting. I know that I have not stood to this standard myself, but if we are to take the words of the prophet seriously, this is the call, this is worship, this is the fast God desires. God wants to partner with the people, not in a formal, contractual way, but as their God. If, God says, they remove the yoke, the blame game, the gossip, if they feed those who are hungry, then God will make this people like a well-watered garden, like a spring of life-giving water that never runs out. If they do these things, the exilic rubble of their streets and homes will be rebuilt. They will repair the breach and be known as repairers of the breach. They will be restored, restoring, restorers. However daunting the task, God will satisfy their needs. The fast God desires is a fast from injustice, a fast from oppression, 
a fast from play, acting, worship. If we engage in true worship, the prophet says, God will be in the midst of us, saying, here I am. And though we have failed and do fail and will fail again, God is always already offering us a way to turn from empty form back to true worship. The here I am from God's own lips calls to us again and again into God's own life. May we choose true worship and may we see God's hand in the midst of us. Amen.